When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It is I, Ultramatus Black, leading the great Hydra, the Crossbones, and Blind Rage. I resurrected him from the grave. (laughs) And now, the Neo-Solar Temple has become a great Full representation of the entire galaxy. Oh, yes. <laughs> we represent the world. We speak in many foreign tongues. Isn't that right, Blind Rage? <laughs> Is that so, Crossbones? 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 Sin fuerte, sin vida, sin novia. Y esos cuatro hombres se mueren. <laughs> sí. And also, as an added bonus, my mini-man monster Hydra has been learning and studying the great ancient language of Sanskrit. Ah, Hydra. <coughs> <laughs> Keep studying. Work harder! Shakara Pro! You have met your doom! Wrestling Omakase. This is John here, and this week we're continuing a theme of um, historical American indies. 
Uh, last week, of course, we did our episode about the Ring of Honor glory years with J.R. Goldberg, which I have to say the amount of positive feedback has been overwhelming. So we're definitely going to bring J.R. back and definitely talk about Ring of Honor again in the future since people really seem to enjoy that episode. I was I was worried before before I listened to it that I was a little bit too over, all over the place as far as we didn't really stick to any kind of like chronological order or anything, but people seem to like it. So, you know, we'll have to try more of those like kind of free-flowing conversations. But this week, we are going to talk about another prominent Northeast indie from around the same time period. It is Chikara Pro. The wacky, family-friendly, fun-filled Lucha Super Show. And my guest this week is actually someone I'm very used to talking to. It is Michael Spears, one of my two Open the Voice Gate co-hosts. Open the Voice Gate, if you're not aware, my other podcast here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network, where we talk about Dragon Gate. Um, You know, whenever we... I can't even really say once a month, it's just whenever. Whenever we get it together. Yeah, it's whenever we all kind of get together, and usually it's whenever there's a live show. But yeah, monthly ish is probably the best way to to note. Our... Like we'll pro- we'll probably do one this weekend because there's going to be a hurricane tomorrow. Well, as I'm recording this tomorrow, but when most of you hear this, it'll have happened already. Um, so the Dragon Gate. So if you're a big if you're a big Dragon Gate fan, you're wondering why you never hear it on Wrestling Say. The reason why is because I have another Dragon Gate podcast that only covers Dragon Gate. So to get your Dragon Gate fill, just go check out Open the Voice Gate. We have a big archive already. Uh, it's not even just current stuff. We've done like we've done like uh, special episodes too. Like we did that Heal Unit timeline episode. We did that Unit uh, history episode with Jay. That's probably still my favorite episode we ever did. Um, it, that, that's one of the few episodes I actually have permanently saved on my phone. <laughs> Just because I like to be able to, like, randomly, if I'm not doing anything, just pull it up. That was a whole lot of fun doing that episode. Yeah, and then, like, if we can do future historical episodes, I almost wonder if we shouldn't do, like, a Dragon Gate concept episode for Omakaze, just to say we covered Dragon Gate at some point. Just to mark it off off your list. But I don't know. We'll say. The entire reason why I started this podcast is because I was just, like, I would really like to talk about some other promotions in Dragon Gate, but I've certainly gotten to do that since I started this. I mean, talked about everything under the sun so far, and we're... Oh, by the way, this is our 10th episode! Oh, what's up? Yeah! Already made it to episode 10. It took, like, Open the Voice Gate, like, six months to make it to episode 10, and I think we did it, like, two and a half or something, so... Yeah, we've been sticking to a pretty pretty good weekly uh, format, which... I plan on sticking to in the future. But Michael, today we're here to talk about Chikara, and I feel like people who know that we're Dragon Gate co-hosts, you know, probably aren't that surprised to hear that we also were into Chikara at one point too. Like I feel like the two promotions, you know, Lucha Rezu and the in the case of Dragon Gate, Chikara, very Lucha influenced, but at the same time, you know, very, I feel like they also had like that Lucha Rezu flavor. You have like the strikers in in drag, like Chikara. You know, first of all, the name is in Japanese. Mm-hmm. People don't know. Like that's literally the Japanese word for power. But um, there's definitely a puro influence too, and people call it you know Chikara Pro in the same way like um you, you know like Minchinoku Pro or Saka Pro. Yeah. So it it, it I, I think there's a strong Lucha Rezu influence too. They have they have Japanese. Um, you know, a lot of Japanese moves, I'm sure. 
famously that Japanese move <laughs> by Shane Storm. Um, there's a lot of comedy, just like there's a lot of comedy in like a Dragon Gate or Osaka Pro. So you know, there, there's a thread there, you know. And you, you have a guy like Skade who wrestled or Skyed Skyda Skyda. Thank you. I never know how to pronounce his name. He 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 wrestled there for years and years, and he obviously was also one of the main trainers for Toriumon for a little while, mostly in the uh, especially in the Toriumon 2000 project era. So yeah, and. For a lot of people that weren't too exposed to a Ring of Honor like in 2006 and so and so on, but like later, Dragon Gate might they might have had their first exposure to Dragon Gate through uh, appearances by Dragon System guys in Chikara. Like yeah, Milano was there for a while. You, you had Milano was there for a while. You had you had Milanito. You had Skyda, of course. Uh, when Tazawa was doing his excursion, he did a bunch of shows. Yeah, and, I was at I was at one of them. It was awesome. Yeah, well, I think that was in Hellerstown. Like, yeah, I went. That was the only time I went all the way to Hellerstown, which for that Young Lions Cup, I think that was so, a good Young Lions Cup. Yeah, right? it was. It was 2010, and that was a really good one. Tozawa, so Tozawa was there, and he was he was awesome. And, and I mean, um, this is the only. There's other guys too, though. There's um, oh god, who am I? There wasn't like Chango there at one point. But uh, I think both Chango. Changeo uh, Go, who was a Torimon guy who never yeah. made it. Like it, the, there is a common thread to uh, Chikara and Dragon System, even to the point that in the uh, first few shows of Dragon Gate USA, a big thing was made that Skyda, who's whose real name is Jorge Rivera, he's been unmasked, so I can say that, but he's put the mask back on because Mexico, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a huge thing about basically Skyda, as you mentioned, John, did all the training or did a lot of the training after uh, Saint Kyra stopped doing a bunch of training for Ultimo Dragon. He did most of the training for the guys in Torimon Gym and through Chikara and like the and the link Mike Quackenbush, who is the Chikara founder and the only person from the Wrestle Factory, who which is the affiliated school that. Uh, that is still there he got skyda to be a kind of like a visiting professor that whenever like they would do shows they'd fly up skyda and it was pretty neat because you get like random guys who if you're a big dragon system nerd like me and john you might have heard of like they would have uh amigo suzuki did a whole bunch of shows uh chinchero arai and even like uh always what's his name uh the first Shimizu. I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name. Motoka? Moto- Motoko? Yeah. I don't know. I, I can never like pronounce that. his name. I have never <laughs> been able to pronounce his name correctly. I could do. I could pronounce his name better if you showed it to me in Hiragana, probably. Uh, or then I could have me in English. Moto Sugu. Moto Su- Mo- Moto Sugu. Yeah. Moto yeah. But uh, the, the, one of the things about Chikara that was always so great was that in this time period, Chikara started in 2002, so actually the same exact same year as uh, Ring of Honor. But it to me, and one that when I was really into Chikara, that I, what I really loved was that it was the first big launching point for a, a lot of guys. Like especially if you're someone who follows. WWE now you could draw you could do a direct line back to Chikara for practically off the top of my head seven or eight guys and even more so if you if you're considering the cruiserweight roster as well. All right, read them off for read them off for everybody. Well, 
the the biggest one would be uh, uh, Antonio Cesaro or yeah. his real name Claudio Casanoli. He actually came over to the states because Chikara because he wanted to train with uh, uh, Mike Quackenbush and Chris Hero. Chris Hero, he ran, and, he, and he ran the school for a while. Yeah, he ran the school after Hero left, and that was an acrimonious thing when that happened. But uh, and then of course Chris Hero who was pretty much one of the central figures of Chikara up until he left, and now he's back in WWE as uh, as Cassius Ono, uh, Drew Gulak, Lindsay, Lindsay Dorado, uh, and then you have people who just made, like, a couple appearances, and that really was it. Like, like I'm, tr- I'm blanking on his name right now. But there's a lot of it. Uh, Sarah Del Rey, of course, is Yeah, now. Sarah Del Rey. I mean, it's kind of interesting now with how the Mae Young Classic's going on, but especially in the United States, Sarah By Del- the way, it's so fucking stupid. Like, they couldn't bring her out of fucking retirement for that. It, like, it, it's like, really insane, right? You would you would have had a, one more really good wrestler, which God knows that tournament could have used. Like, why the fuck wouldn't you let her come out of retirement for that? Yeah. So fucking stupid. I mean, unless she just didn't want to do it, but I, more than likely, I would I would guess that they didn't ask, they didn't even ask her because that's how fucking stupid they are. Plus, she's on the road now all the time. I, I think she's a full time producer at on the shows. But yeah, like Sarah Del Rey, who you could draw a line basically back to how women's wrestling is in the states now because of Sarah Del Rey, yeah. and she was a full timer in Chikara up until she, when she got signed. Yeah. So I mean, like. Uh, I completely blanked on him. Luke Harper, who was Brody Lee on the Indies and in Dragon Gate, basically yep. his big promotion was Jakar. Well, he was trained. He was trained by Jakar, wasn't he? He was a, a upstate New York uh, guy. Okay, and then oh. and then like he came for more training or something. Yeah, like the, yeah. there there was like this crazy story about how he was originally supposed to have the role that Colin Delaney had in ECW, but they saw him as like, no, you're way too big. And yeah, that's fine. But yeah, so I mean, Colin Delaney, who was in WWE ECW, was a part of it. It's just like a lot of guys and who are now like, oh, Johnny Gargano. His first big yeah. promotion was Chikara, even before Dragon Gate USA. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I remember his debut. I was at that King of Trios when he, uh, you know, he was doing this like weird scouting thing, and then Fist ended up having him join. Yeah, so yeah, that was one of his big for his first big promotions after he got out of the Midwest. So. And to me, like, one of the reasons why I really love Chikara and my time period that I got that I was really following it was basically from 2005, right before they ran their fake shutdown angle, was yeah. that it, it had the way that Chikara was for a long time was it was a student's promotion. Like, it was Quack and Bush's students, but he would always, like, pepper in someone. Like, the first show famously had Chris Hero, CM Punk, and Colt Cabana on it. And, like, in the back room of a... Uh, I think it was like a comic book store, like that. Like that's where his gym was, the original Chikara Wrestle Factory. But like he always would find like interesting people to pepper onto shows and on onto their tournaments and and like the, the tournaments probably for a lot of people who don't follow Chikara is probably the most noticeable thing they've ever done, being the uh, Tag World Grand Prix and King of Trios. But like it 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 was a whole lot of fun. It was the wrestling not necessarily was the best entering stuff, but there was always great storylines around it and a lot of good like psychology that with it. And the matches really meant something and it was different. Like, yeah, it was very different from anything else going on at the time. Mm -hmm. So do you know what I always liked about Jakar? And this is, this is a simple explanation of why, you know, so basically my, my backstory Jakar is I, I, I watched him a little bit, 
pre um 2010 like I, I basically i went to a show here or there in philly um i, I don't remember which one I, wanted, I went to one of the double shots i think it was mm-hmm. 08 or it could have been even earlier than that but the main event was of the chikara half of the chikara cw double shot was like claudio and quackenbush and it was the match where like like half the crowd was really cheering for claudio mm-hmm. and when claudio almost pinned quack the the crowd was chanting that was three and then quackenbush beat him and then he turned back to these heel fans and put up his three figures and said, no, that was three. Yeah. Like screaming it at them. That was really – that always stuck with me because I'd never seen Quack that fucking angry really <laughs> like before or since at, at, at fans. But he seemed really annoyed that the half the fans at ECW Arena were cheering for the Rudo because <laughs> it just wasn't done that often at Chikara shows. But um, but yeah, so I pay a little bit of attention to them. I buy a DVD here or there, go to a show here or there. But it was 2010, mm-hmm. basically the BDK year. That was the year I went to pretty much every Northeast show. And the timeline, if you pay, if you listen to the Ring of Honor show, basically I ba- I replaced my live Ring of Honor viewing with live Jakara viewing. Like I had a gap there where I wasn't going to anything. But like 09 was the year that I really stopped going to Ring of Honor shows after years and years. And, you know, I had I had a couple friends, uh, Quinlan, the, the same Ring of Honor friend I talked about in the last show, and Sean, who's been on this show before about talking about Joshi. Um, the two of them were started going to a bunch of Shakara shows in late 09. So I checked it out and I went to the I went to the season premiere in 2010 and was really got really into it and was a really big BDK fan. So you can see me on DVD, I'm sure, giving that stupid BDK uh, salute. <laughs> I know, I know my, cross, yeah. Miles saw me at one point. He was just like, why are you like this? And he was very upset. But, but, but like, that was one of the great things about Chikara was that... I said like, Miles, I meant Milo. Wow. <laughs> I, 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 didn't I, have ta- I, I have tails on the brain. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was like, I was about to make a, a Tails Prowler reference. But, yeah. Like, that whole time period, because that, that was... Probably the last one of the last two years I fully followed Chikara was the BDK angle. And for those people who don't know or don't know BDK angles, it probably it was something that the groundwork for that angle started in 2005. Yeah, it was a great fucking storyline. We have, we'll have to go into detail on that because mm-hmm. that that to me is Chikara's like masterpiece as far as like a long running storyline that actually paid off in something that actually did change the entire face of the promotion. So like that, that's yeah. Chikara's like, like that, that was amazing that they, they put, they pulled that off. So we'll, we'll go into detail on that. Cause I want to talk about that. Yeah. But that's, so, so that's 2010, but yeah, just, just to go into background. So 20, I, I watched, I went to every show in 2010 and then 2011 and 2012, I was going to shows here or there. It was more hit or miss at that point. Uh, once the BDK was like, not as big of a deal. I kind of wasn't as into it, but I still went to the occasional show up to um, Under the Hood in 2012. I believe was my last show, which was Eddie Kingston and Tim Dunst for the for the Chikara Grand Championship, which was a pretty good show. But that just ended up being the last one I ever went to. Well, that so. that ended up being the last show that Chikara ran for well over a year. So wait, I thought no, no, no. I thought that was the Icarus one. Uh, under the hood is the Icarus match. Oh, oh, oh no! Uh, under the hood was the Tim Dons one. Sorry, yeah, you're yeah. right. Uh, the Icarus yeah. one, which was in 2013, so the next year. Yeah, I didn't never compromise was that. I was, I was, I was already not going at that point. So, mm-hmm. and, and to be honest, that was about when I was already kind of tailing off, but was by never compromise. Like the probably like my peak, absolute peak was 2009 when I got to go to King of Trios 2009 and you actually can see me freak out 
in the front row during what I still think is one of the best American matches in decades of the uh, four-way match with Kota Ibushi, Jigsaw, I forget which Jackson, Nick or Matt, one of them, I think it was Nick, and El Generico, which was like the first time that, that Generico did the diving through the, t- the corner, swinging DT to the outside, yeah. which is like still to this day one of the most insane spots I've ever seen, and... But by that time, I probably at the end of the uh, that the uh, Kings and Dance match probably was the end of my constant following Chikara, uh, and we could kind of probably get into it later. But this the BDK storyline, like just like how they did it, was some of the best storytelling in wrestling history. Right. So let's before we get into that though, I want to back up because mm-hmm. the BDK is like it's a great example of what Chikara did really well for a long time. Mm-hmm. So Chikara, if you look back at their history. They always had similar to what we talked about the Ring of Honor thing, but to an to an even greater extent, there was always like an invading army or a heel army, and, and they kind of I feel like they got that from you know watching Michinoku Pro and Osaka Pro and mm-hmm. Dragon Gate because they always they they also always had like this heel army this heel stable that was always around. So the first one, I guess, would have been like Sweet and Sour Incorporated, right? That would be the first one? Yeah, that was the first one because the the first basically two or three years of Jakara, like 2002 through 2004, it still was a lot of either guests guest showing up or just very small cards because it, it was until they really had a lot of their Quackenbush and Hero students debut. And yeah. And they finally got enough, and they kind of there was a heel stable before then called the Night Shift. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. But that, but it wasn't in the true vein of how Chikara would really have Home Army versus Rudo stable. Like, yeah. the, like it was just a Rudo trio when that happened. But, but like, so, so I remember that the I was looking at the results. There was um, at a show in Emmaus, Am- Am- Emmaus. I don't know how to pronounce this town name. Emmaus, I think. Some, some town in Pennsylvania, they did like a seven match series between Chikara and the Sweet and Sour International. Mm-hmm. So like that again, that's a very Japanese kind of thing. So you know, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and that sure. house and, and like that uh, building was probably the one of the worst venues that I've ever seen an indie run. To be quite honest, because it was a <laughs> firehouse's like dining room. Oh wow! Like, like this is the thing about early Chikara. Up until they started re- reliably running the ECW arena, was like they would have, they basically would be trying to find any place that they can go run. Like they had a special ring built so that it was lower, so that they could go to places that. Yeah, people people forget that that's one of the things that's. I'm mm-hmm. glad you brought that up. Like that weird low ring mm-hmm. that was like you know it almost looks like a bunch of mats basically. Yeah, the Quackabush always called it the pony ring. For some yeah. reason, but yeah, it basically was a ring, but it stopped where the braces were on the apron, so there was no stands for so, the so corners. I feel like that's one of the things that made them stand out for mm-hmm. good or better or worse. Because I remember the first time I, I put a show on for them, I think it was the 05 Tag Grand Prix, and like you know, the, the, so so the first time you watch a show from them from that era, you know, what stands out, it, it almost feels like you're. It feels like you're watching a bunch of friends goof off, but with a level of wrestling that you're not expecting for it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I'm not saying it was the best wrestling in the world or anything, but it was like it was you know it was good enough. And at the same time, you know they're in this like weird low ring. 
there's not that many fans there, but the fans that are there actually seem super into it. The venues always looked unique. And then the commentary, that was another thing that yeah. really caught my, caught, catches your eye immediately because, or I guess catches your ear, because it was like they would rotate. So you'd, you'd have like, you know, you'd have like basically either one of the referees like Bryce Rensberg or um, Chikaris, Leonard F. Chikaris, and it was, I don't know what his shoot get, shoot like um, role was, but work, he was like the commissioner or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so he, he, he would do it. Um, you know, the and then you and then the color commentators, Quackenbush would do play I play a lot, and then for color commentary they bring in like tons of guys. Yeah, like like it's just everyone on the roster it seems like would do color commentary, and part of the fun was like some of, some of them would be really good at it and some of them would be really fucking terrible. Yeah, and then you'd hear them, you just hear them like one of the guys who I always liked hearing was honestly Eddie Kingston because he wasn't good at it, but he would bring his own weird like. Uh, aesthetic to it and it was it, it, he just talked like nobody else on color commentary talked he was such a so, weirdo like a yeah. commentary like Eddie Kingston who for the longest time was the best promo with Chikara he would get up there and he always wanted to do commentary for whatever matches were going on between like strikers like whenever a necro butcher was in Chikara no doubt they would have Eddie Kingston commentating the match and he would just freak out at stuff yeah, he would just like scream. Yeah, I kind of like oh, like the, oh like my that. god. Yeah, and like he, it, it, you know, like again, it's not what I would call good commentary, but it's unique and like it, it stands out. Mm-hmm. And like you know, you know, for, for you know this this website in general, Voice of Wrestling, not known for being Chikara positive, but uh, I, 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 I <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I just gonna say I do think they had their. They had their moment. I'm not talking about current Chikara, which I, I don't watch. I don't think is very good from what I, what little I have seen. But like they had their moment to be. If I think they were an important part of the indie scene in the mid in the mid aughts till like the start of this decade, and I think they they did bring something unique to the table that did capture a lot of people. Oh, so. I completely agree. Like. The first promotion I ever really traveled by myself to go see was Chikara. Like, in the mid- it was my senior year of college, and somehow my uh, spring break lined up to King of Trios 2009. And it was such a pull for me because you get, like, unique, like, people that you would never see anywhere else. And Chikara still does that a little bit from how, from what I understand. But, like, just, like, looking at some of these early Tag World Grand Prix and King of Trios, like... You would you would randomly have um, Osamu Nishimura in a yeah. turn, in a tag world Grand Prix going up against a random uh, team called the Heartbreak Express, who I don't remember who they are at all. It's just like weirdness. Like, were the matches always going to be like high work rate? No, I mean Chikara is known for kind of being wacky, but like, and, and at the same time, you might get just get like some people that just can't wrestle each other like, i mean necro butcher was there all the time and or not all but, but he made multiple appearances in jakara and it was just seeing him in that tiny ring you know throwing punches like they they booked a lot of guys that were very interesting yeah and, and that was the thing like jakara was interesting it was different and it would like especially it's something you had to do if you're a student promotion like i think it's interesting how michael elgin's promotion He's doing a student promotion that he's actually bringing in other people, other stars like uh, uh, Eerie, or I always pronounce his name. Eerie. Eerie and uh, Pentagon Jr. Like, he brings in them 
to like sell the students tickets but Quackenbush like his mindset has always been like let's do something a little different like how like the person who had the biggest debut in Chikara history was Glacier like WCW <laughs> Glacier but like because like they were teasing it for a long time and then suddenly like the techno music goes on at uh, at the ECW arena and the lights go down and they start and they start having like their own like version of the laser light shows and the crowd goes completely apeshit for it and yeah. Chikara was great about that at that time. So, so, um, but yeah, so that's what I was trying to say though, like kind of like what the appeal was to me and a lot of ways given, which is funny given the, the fact that they're so family friendly, but in a lot of ways they were almost a new ECW to me as far as like it feeling almost like a cult, you know, or feeling like, it, you know, it's like this weird cult of like people who really bought into, um, this idea of what pro wrestling could be in a very different way from what anybody else was doing. Yeah, so. Oh, entirely. And I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this person up because he was, and I don't know how young he was when he was doing this, but the person who had probably the best Jakara coverage was a famed Twitter user, user Galazzo Dan back in the day. Yes. And yeah. shout out to Galazzo Dan, AKA Shakara fan Dan. Yeah. If he, if he ever wants to come on and do an, do another Jakara episode, that'd be awesome. Um, but yeah, so let's talk, let's go back to what we're talking about with the heel armies though. Mm-hmm. So the second heel army, I feel like the bit, the first one that people really, really, really remember was the Kings of wrestling. And oh, they yeah. had a, they had a great first angle where, you know, you have the Chris hero and Mike Quackenbush were teaming up as the super friends for quite a while already in Chikara. Mm-hmm. They go all the way to the finals of the 20, 2005 world grand Prix, which again, that's three nights worth of, um, you know, it's a big tournament. 32 teams. Go, 32 teams. They go all the way to final against Eric Cannon and Claudio Castagnoli, only for Hero to turn on his own partner in the match. And Hero joins up with Cannon and Claudio, leaving Quackenbush by himself. And the kind of, um, you know, they kind of became like the new big heel army. At first, it was just a, it was just a trio, but then they, they basically convinced Team Fist to turn heel, which also was a big deal at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Icarus, Icarus and uh, Gran Akuma have been baby faces since like the moment the promotion started so yeah so well no icarus was a heel first actually i think he was a heel first because he was ichabod slain in the night shift then he lost his mask and then he turned Mm. face yeah Yeah. and uh the the crazy thing about that like that wasn't even the beginning of the true chris hero versus mike quackenbush feud which really was like the big feud in chikara up until when chris hero left like, yeah. like, like the, the the one of the great things about Chikara when we kind of talked about it is like the way to tell a story. Like this was all dating back to a Ted Petty Invitational, which had Hero versus Quackenbush, where Quackenbush beat him and Hero was still salty about it, and he felt like he was embarrassed in front of all the Chikara students that came with him to IWA Mid South. So he decided yeah. to basically play a fake friendship with him all the way up to the finals of the Tag World Grand Prix. Going against a team that was like thrown together for the tournament, like Eric Cannon and Claudio were not friends going into the tournament. They were like one of the random teams that was tossed together, and it formed probably, with the exception of BDK, the most important stable in Chikara history. Yeah, but yeah, you had Fist in it, and then they Fist adopted Chuck Taylor very soon after. Like this was the yeah. first time that Chuck Taylor got any exposure anywhere was in Chikara, and this was like he was still like in college. Like, he was, like, 19 years old in Chikara, and he was more known for his YouTube videos of trying to make kids cry at that point. 
I, I feel like he again. That, that's a guy who was not trained in Chikara, but ended up really becoming synonymous with Chikara. And again, it's because that was like his first real home promotion, but at least of, the, of that national profile. Mm-hmm. And then, like you know, they had, they had a famous shoot. They brought his famous shoot Ricochet to Chikara, which led to let, a loser must um, le- a loser leaves town match where mm-hmm. Ricochet lost and then came back as Helios. Which I thought was always a funny, a funny little thing they did. Because uh, all the while, Chuck Taylor knew it was Ricochet, but no one had believed him when he said, "No, that's Helios's Ricochet. Why are you letting him in?" Like it was yeah. always so great. And then, uh, and, and then eventually, uh, King uh, the Kings of Wrestling became such a huge stable. Like they had Larry Sweeney join, and we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Larry Sweeney. Yeah, he was a he was a real character. I mean, that was his. His basic gimmick was, um, you know, what, what's the best way to put it? Like an old, like a, a WWF '80s throwback, right? That would be the best way to put it. Like territory heel, like territory heel, L- like your yeah, local territory right, heel. That's even better way to put it. Yeah. Right. And he was never a great wrestler. He was like five eight and a little pudgy, but like he had probably the best character because he made you believe he was this guy who's just getting in from out of town from like wrestling the loop in Mid-South for Watts. And he had the Texarkana TV title, which was a fake TV title that he would constantly would defend and lose and defend and lose. And yeah. And for me, like a lot of my, when I fell out of Jakara was around his death. So he was like a unique character that man, what would have happened if, if Larry Sweeney was still alive today? Like I think about that all the time, but he joined King. Of, he joined Kings of Wrestling with like, I want to say Mitch Ryder. Yeah, Mitch Ryder. I remember him. Yeah, who was like actual old territory guy, and then yeah. who Shane Hawk. I want to say was the last member of Kings of Wrestling. Yeah, so they were around. They were around for a few years, mm-hmm. um, pretty much until Hero left, I guess. Although yeah. they did lose. They did lose Claudio at one point. Uh, when Claudio, well, they lost him, and then they like forced him to join again. Yeah, and then and then they ended up paying off at a, C- a Cibernetico, where Claudio basically won his freedom, mm-hmm. and they got to have a baby face run for a few years. But um, bef- basically, so that was the next big heel army, and then we can we can kind of get into I guess the because this is around the time the um, the big storyline with, with the that that went on for years and years leading up to the BDK kind of. Mm-hmm kind of took off do you want to explain that storyline yeah so this is another way of that chikara was so great about telling these year-long season-long stories was that all the while while kings of trios existed mike quackenbush was obsessed with getting his vengeance against chris hero but hero would duck him dodge him like they would be in matches and hero and quackenbush would tag in and hero would immediately bail to the outside but he finally got his match against him and he submitted him with a move he invented called the Chikara Special. Yeah. And he, ba- he the- and then he cut this big promo when he finally was able to beat him. He was like, guess what, Hero? I'm going to teach this to everyone. This is my unbreakable hold. And they're going to make you submit Yeah, he's like, this. I'm going to teach you to the entire technical locker room. Mm-hmm. So and that was a bit, that was important because of what happened later. Yeah, so to continue, like, Hero then became obsessed with finding a way to get out of it. And he finally did because during this time there no, was no, no, before but before that though I want to point like he was losing to everybody with mm-hmm. that move like he even lost to and this is becomes important later I guess but he even lost to uh God what the hell was that guy's name Equinox Equinox right yeah 
so who was like a, considered a jobber at the time basically mm-hmm. and he was like he was like a sky days like um mexican partner is the way he was presented yeah but he lost all the time so even he was able to tap out chris hero with the with the chikara special yeah and it, it started a feud with between equinox who really was like the the lost post for the entire promotion and he always would like lose and he always would take really gross bumps and have bad botches like the mm-hmm. guy who played equinox was not very good but he beat him with it and then chris hero got so flustered that he was like okay i'm so mad about this i want a mask versus hair match against you the next day and that next day chris hero was able to reverse the way out of the chikara special and took equinox mask and then that goes on to a whole different thing with equinox that's not yeah. really pertinent well, so, to this so but he- but that does lead to the next – I feel like the yeah. next big heel, heel unit after the Kings of Wrestling. So we could make a little diversion here and just quickly mm-hmm. talk about that. So he unmasks and basically reveals that he was not you know, this Mexican wrestler all this time. He was you know, he was this guy, Vin Gerard, who was a Chikara, a Chikara Wrestle Factory dropout. Mm-hmm. And the way they did the, the, the gimmick was awesome because – like they made it clear once it was revealed that this guy was this dropout in the Chicago Wrestle Factory that nobody else in the promotion wanted anything to do with him, and he would come he would come in through the back door, he would um, you know like he would never enter through the the main like locker room. Yeah, like, they, they they did a great job making you both at simultaneously feel bad for this guy, but then at the same time he was such a prick that you felt bad for feeling bad for him. Yeah, so and, the and way the guy- they did it was. I was gonna say the guy who did this was great at portraying like a prick that no one liked. Yeah, he was great at being like basically this slimy, like Greaser. dirty, greasy asshole. I mean, I still think Vin Gerard was he he was very underrated. I feel like because he wasn't a very good wrestler, but once he got rid of that Equinox gimmick and was able to be himself, his like he had like his wrestling style was more suited for what he was able to do. And he was much better, I feel like, from that yeah. from that point until he retired. But it does it, it intersects with the with the main story again a little bit. But for now, all you need to know is that he's around now and he's being slimy. Yeah, so. he's being around. He's being slimy. Uh, this was back in the MySpace days, and all the other Chikara people would sell their merch through Chikara or at the tables. Uh, he would go through MySpace where he would be able to like buy a what was called the very worst of Equinox, where it was like this burnt DVDR that he would send you and he would like and he would send you an 8x10 where he basically insults you for wasting money on it like, <laughs> like he was a great Rudo at this like he because he was so contrary and he he was really good at being like this betrayer this betrayer but he wasn't going to be left alone for a while because Mike yeah. Quackenbush got paranoid that somehow Chris Hero found out the way out of the Chikara special so yeah so someone taught him the counter which it must be said the counter's just kicking the guy in the head. The, so that's, that looked kind of stupid when it's like, oh, that's the counter. He couldn't think of that on his own. The car special was such a dorky move. <laughs> it was a really dorky move, like it mm-hmm. must have said. But anyway, so so someone taught Hero this 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 counter, and Quackenbush is searching for the who the, basically who the mole was in the technical locker room. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, Shane Storm, who's this adorable, you know, um, this adorable baby face, basically. He's, you know, he's the guy in this, he's like, what, one of the men at work, like a construction yeah. worker. And he, he, his finisher was that Japanese move, which is a shining wizard. 
you know, back in the days when every single person was using a, a shining wizard. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, it was really, it was a funny gimmick. But he was going on a long losing streak, and all of a sudden one day, the the uh, order of the Neo Solar Temple, which was Ultramantis Black Stable, they helped him out of nowhere defeat Hydra, one of um, one of the Neo Solar Temple members. So people were like, okay, that was weird. So then we, it comes out when Quackenbush – so Quackenbush sends Tim Donst undercover into the Ruta locker room. Um, Donst pretending that he had like a concussion basically and didn't have any memory. Mm-hmm. So like so like you know Mantis brainwashed him and joined the Neo-Solar Temple. But then Donst reveal, comes out at one point and just kind of like whispers something in Quackenbush's ear. And at that point he leaves the Ruta locker room because you know he no longer needs to be undercover because he found, he found out what he needed to find out. And that led to the the Tim Donst and Hydra team. Oh, that, that became, was that was really the Sea Donsters. But um, anyway, so Quackenbush learns that the betrayer, the the mole, was Shane Storm, and Shane Storm traded the the, the counter for the Jakar special to finally get a fucking win because he had been he had been like a six month long losing streak or something. Mm-hmm. So he gave he told Ultramantis, Ultramantis told Hero, and that's how Hero found out the counter. And. It was such a interesting thing because then he, because Quackenbush and he's still like when he does wrestle in Chikara to this day he he was such like he, I mean he was a Mary Sue he was the goody two shoes like as you were saying earlier John about when he got angry like he never got angry like yeah but, but he got so mad at Shane Storm here yeah he yeah. he then like he he like attacked him and started like putting on like legitimate hooking like submission moves that were on just like to to like just a forced pain and then out, and then like seemingly out of no, nowhere then no one wanted anything to do with Shane Storm so yeah. then Shane Storm at that time went up with Ven Jarrard and he renamed himself into Stigma which he had like this really crazy sonic mask that was really yeah. cool during that time period and they and then they so it's funny that Shane Storm Stigma and Shane Storm slash Stigma mm-hmm. joins up with the guy that you know, or, or, or Vin Gerard joins up with the guy who made him lose his mask, basically. Basically, yeah. I always thought it was a cool little touch, but and then eventually they add Colin Delaney because Colin Delaney got back from um, WWE and like now has a big head, basically. Mm-hmm. Extremely cute wrestler, which I always thought was really funny. But um, but yeah, they become the unstable. Which they were they were a cool little hill stable for a little while, like I thought for like a couple years, like oh eight through oh nine they were mm-hmm. they were cool. Like by the time we get to twenty ten, they're still around but just losing all the time because somebody some Rudos had to lose while the BDK was dominating. They weren't really that cool anymore. But um, yeah, like they served their purpose really well, and like it, it for as long basically up until when Venger retired, like a, he became kind of their big singles heel. Yeah. Up until BDK, because one of the things in Chikara, for those people who don't know, like Chikara was always rooted that the biggest title in Chikara was the tag belts. Yeah. And the, whereas all the students and all the uh, singles wrestlers would fight for the Young Lions Cup, at least up until they introduced their grand championship. But, like, so, like, he won it. They actually had, like, the first ever ladder match because of it. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it was a fun little unit, and... It was real interesting because how that played into the Neo Solar Temple, which also led into the BDK. Yeah. Like, so the Neo Solar Temple was around all this time too, and mm-hmm. another heel stable, which was like Ultramantis Black, Crossbones, Hydra. Although Hydra left with Tim Donst. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's other people I'm not remembering. Uh, those but, are the three main ones. I was a yeah. big a Neo Solar Temple fan. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think everybody was. I mean, Mantis was just with that with that voice and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, he was just such a great, um, such a great character. Yeah, he was like <laughs> one of those guys on commentary that whenever he do, he went on commentary, it was always a scream because he knew his stuff, but he was so committed to his character and he had like the Ultramanist voice. Yeah, and his weird turn of phrases that he'd use. Yeah, he was one of the best commentators for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he's been, you know he's doing this over the top heel gimmick, um, you know that that kind of lasted throughout. Um, so we get through at this point, so we don't really know anything else that's going on except that this is where a hero leaves. Yes. So they basically they're like, okay, well they traded the Shikara. like like basically uh, Mr. Cube, I guess, in Kaiju Big Battle wanted a chance to have Chris Hero wrestle for him. So, like, part of the trade was, like, Hero went to go wrestle for Mr. Cube, and in turn, Mr. Cube gave Ultramantis Black the Eye of Tear, which was this mystical, magical artifact mm-hmm. that we'll have to talk about. We have to, you know, this is Chikara at its wackiest, honestly, but um, the it becomes a very important, like, thing for, for the rest of this. There's all one big thing, basically. So Mantis traded... The the Chikara special counter to Hero in exchange for Hero going to wrestle for Mr. Cube and Mr. Cube then giving Ultramantis the Eye of Tear. It's like a three way, you know, sports trade, basically. Yeah. So and this is 2009 we're talking about. And this still is going back. No, no, this is 2008. Oh, this is 2008. Yeah, Yeah, this is 2008. So So this is still going to this is still going back. A couple of years is going to keep going forward a couple of years, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so Chris Hero legitimately leaves the promotion, never comes back. Um, do we want to talk about why that was? Uh, yeah, I mean, Voices of Wrestling is already hated by Mike Quackenbush. We might as well get into the nitty-gritty. Uh, uh, the, uh, the long and the short of it was that... The, the, suddenly, suddenly we'll get shoot. We'll get under the shoot reasons here. Yeah, he didn't uh, really. He didn't really go wrestle. With, it wasn't just because Doctor Q wanted him, everybody. Uh, shoot reason too. The mo- and, and I can say this because Hero talks about it on one of the shoot tapes. Like I'm not like breaking anything. Like I'm not doing this. Uh, uh, Mike Quackenbush is known for being very stingy, incredibly stingy, and uh, he did. And he was paying Chris Hero a very little amount of money. And this is right when Chris Hero was starting to get big with Ring of Honor, and he wanted more. He wanted more money to do training and all of this. So that was it. There also was like the big thing about. Hero talking to someone's ex girlfriend or girlfriend, but the, the the that's an aside. The real reason was Mike Quackenbush is a very stingy person. Yeah, he doesn't pay a lot of money, and Hero, like like you said, Hero was also starting to blow up at this point. Mm-hmm. He, he had gotten into Ring of Honor through the CCW feud, and he just thought he was worth more money. And Quackenbush disagreed, and that was you know, there's also there's also the girlfriend thing, like you said, but the real reason was money. So, but it, it was very weird having this guy who had been such a central, integral part of Chikara since almost day one, certainly since, like, 2004. Right. Suddenly just be gone and never even, never and never come back even for, like, a one-off. But, yeah, I mean, that was his very last appearance in Chikara was 2008. But, anyway, so the the next part of all this, this story is, comes in, like, 2009, where... Or I, think, I guess it. Well, no, he turned delirious in 2008. I think 2008. But yeah, yeah so Ultraman. So so, so Hollow Wicked and Delirious were a very successful tag team called Incoherence. 
Um, Hollow Wicked had like left Mantis's heel original heel stable, and like what was it called before they ordered the Neo Solo Temple? Uh, there was the Order Neo Solo Temple. Dark Breed. The dark. The Dark Shift. Dark Shift. No, 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 it was the Dark Breed. Well, yeah, there was Dark Bleed. I was thinking uh, about Night Shift. Like, there's a lot of them. Like, Ultramanus always has a stable that he is a part of. Like, it, oh yeah, yeah. But anyway, with the point though, so like Ultramanus. Yeah, the Dark Breed. Yeah, so so Hollow Wicked turned on Ultramantis and, and, and went babyface with Delirious, basically because the crowd thought that him and Delirious were really funny. The same reason why Donston Hydra kind of like went off on their own as babyfaces. So Mantis decided to get revenge on him. He used the Eye of Tear on Delirious to turn Delirious into his basically his slave. Mm-hmm. Delirious had like no mind of his own at this point. He all he could do basically was follow uh, Ultramantis. Now. If you're going to use the Eye of Tear on somebody and, and claim it makes them brainwashed or whatever and they have to serve somebody, like, they pick the best person, I think, because Delirious already has this gimmick of, like, you know, he's this weirdo that can't really talk and runs all over the place when the bell rings and stuff. So, like, I don't know how to describe it, really, but it felt like the right fit. Like, if you're going to use that on somebody, that's the right person. And it was a big thing because he was getting back at Hollow Wicked because... Yeah. The, because really the first big feud in Chikara history between, like, Chikara people was Ultramanus and Hallow Wicked. So, like, and, and they would later on team up again. They would break up. They'd team up again. So, like, Delirious made made a lot of sense for us. And also led to, like, what I think is Delirious's best mask he ever had. Yeah, that, that black and silver one. Yeah, like... Yeah, that was a really badass. But, like, but it, it matched Ultramanticism. They were such a cool team for the little while they lasted. Yeah, and Crossbones was a lot of fun, too. Because Crossbones, yeah. for those who don't know, was... Like, this bigger guy, like, he was probably close to, like, 300 pounds. And he had, like, this really cool mask, too. And he basically was this guy who would just do a bunch of kicks and talk the entire time. Yeah. And, and, and he always... And Crossbones he retires, he comes back, but... They kind of form what was the last iteration of the Neo Solar Temple, and the th- the rule about the Eye of Tear is that once you use it, you have to return it to the family that keeps the Eye of Tear. Like, well, you have to. It, I don't even think it's that you have to re- give it back to the family. I think it's just that you have to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, if you don't get like if you don't get rid of it, it the, the idea is that they, a great mis- misfortune will come upon you. And Ultramanus being a. Uh, his his nickname for the longest time was like the devious insectoid evildoer. Was like, no, I'm never getting rid of this. Oh, by the way, was I'm looking at the results. It was 2009. When it was turned, 2009. Yeah, yeah. When he turned hilarious. Yeah. So, so but so. yeah, so Ultraman is like, why did I get rid of this? I think it's so powerful. But but yeah. Um, so that leads into the um, into the end of towards the end of 2009. A bunch of other weird stuff starts happening. Um, you have these there, – there's this Jakara comic book mm-hmm. going on, which was like – supposed to be t- taking place in the future. And then you had characters from the comic book showing up in real life, which were like Carpenter Ant, which is like another ant in uh, in the colony. Mm-hmm. And from the beginning, it was very obvious there was something really weird about this Carpenter Ant. Like he was the, – the colony were these big baby faces, but he – first of all, he was the only other one that could t- speak in English mm-hmm. other than Green Ant. And he would be like – he would just kind of like, I don't know how to describe him. He'd be very intense. And he'd be very heelish when he'd talk. Like I remember when 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 he first debuted, he started using the inverted Chikara special, which no one else was using. Mm-hmm. And um, 
they would ask him where he got that hold or something, and he'd be like, you'd be surprised the things I know or something. And he just kind of like stalks out. And it's like, okay, there's, there's clearly something up with this guy. He's not, he's not clearly not a, not a baby face. But and it turned out that like when we get into this, there's a reason why he knew it. But like he yeah. was he come he came out of nowhere. He was part of it. A character, Vocator, or Vocoder. Yeah, I think it was Vocator. Yeah. yeah. Started showing up. He was like, this, he was like, like this cyborg. Yeah, he was like a cyborg cop. Was basically his gimmick. Was that? Yeah. He he always came in like in a trench coat. And this time period, Chikara always like. One of the cool things that they did for the longest time, and they've kind of gotten away from it, was they would name their events, and the DVD covers were always either, like, certain photographs or a takeoff of comic book t- art. Like, one of my favorite ones was when uh, when Claudio first left. Like, the, it was at a pay-per-view. It was at a show called Brick, and it was the... And the cover, I believe, was the, the cover after... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Jason Todd died. And they made it mm. into a DVD cover, but the thing is that Fokker kind of was supposed to be like Rorschach from the uh, from the Watchmen during that yeah. time period. So he so he comes out and like starts protecting Ultramantis in the Neo Solar Temple, mm-hmm. basically. And um, so you have one one of these weird new guys protecting the Arudos, Arudo unit, and one of these weird new guys protecting a Technico unit. Um, and then it kind of builds, and then we get to the we get to the season finale. And one of the coolest things they did during this, there was a Claudio and Eddie Kingston feud that went all year long. And multiple Eddie Kingston, years. multiple years, yeah. And Eddie Kingston kept saying basically that he knew the real Claudio, that Claudio had tricked the fans into cheering him. But, you know, the real Claudio is like, what, what, he, what did he shady. call him? Like, shady. shady. Right. Yeah. So he kept saying, you're shady, you're a shady character, you hang out with shady characters. Basically saying you, you, there's something really wrong with you. So it all builds up to the Three Fisted Tales, the season, the, I guess the season nine? No, what was Seven. It would have been seven. Seven? Okay, yeah. season seven finale, and November 22nd, 2009, ECW Arena. Um, so you have Claudio defeating Eddie Kingston in a respect match, where the loser was supposed to tell the winner that they respected them. But Kingston wouldn't bring himself to do it, and the way they they worked that match too was brilliant. Where like they did it as like a it's still one of my all time favorite Chikara matches, where they did it as like they hadn't done a double turn yet, mm-hmm. but Claudio worked subtle heel throughout. Like he at one point they, they're brawling on the floor and he throws one of his own students in front of like one of the ring boys in front of Eddie to like block a move and let's like sacrifices this ring boy to get killed mm-hmm. to to avoid getting hit by a lariat or something, and that was uh. You know, just basically playing subtle heel throughout. So the crowd, the crowd kind of, kind of got into it and like started cheering for Eddie, and then Claudio beats him, you know, clean as a sheet basically, and you know demands his respect. And Eddie, you know, says, "I'll never respect you," and it leads to a big brawl at the end. So then we get after the main event where the Colony retains the the uh, the tag titles, we get the big angle where there have been these two guys in white. That have been stalking around, especially stalking Ultramantis at Chikara shows. Um, they're, they're both masked. They both en- they enter the ring, and well, Ultramantis basically says, "You know, he's tired of uh, the two of them stalking him, and wants to know what this is about." And they both enter the ring. Um, the, all the technicals come out to kind of confront them. Well, really, the entire locker room kind of yeah. comes out, right? Like he Rudos too. And the first one on masks, and he just has another mask under there. It's Terasas. The second one unmasked, and it's Ares, uh, this guy from Europe who was Claudio's original tag partner 
uh, Sw- what was it, Swiss Money Holdings? Yeah, Swiss Money Holding. But like and, this, this, but something happened really important before then, though. Okay, well, go ahead. What was so it? the big thing was that with it, like the, if the first wave of people who came out were just like random, like babyface technicos, and they said, "No, I want the people who have the power." And yeah, and, and then what? that came out Quack and Claudio, oh, yeah. and then and, they, and, and Ultramantis too. No, Ultramantis didn't come out just then. I, oh, he, I he, he pointed up there and said, yeah. "Give me the real power." Yeah, I rewatched yeah. this. Like this, this whole video, this whole segment is still up on YouTube. It's the best moment in Chakar history. But yeah, okay. sorry. So he points up and says, "You know, no, don't insult me. I want the real power." That's right. Mm-hmm. So Ultramantis comes down. He's like, "I don't know what all this, what all this is about," but you know. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so so Ari's a mess, and again, this has been Cardo's original partner from Europe from many years ago. Quackenbush immediately, in one of one of the best reactions of all time, like turns it turns to look at Claudio and goes and, and like mouths, oh shit, which is awesome because it was Jakara, yeah. where no one ever curses, so it was such a big deal. The Quackenbush was like, oh shit, and Claudio immediately European uppercuts him, murders him, murders him with this uppercut. And it makes it clear that obviously he's on this group's side. And then, you know, the first time he turned heel in like three years. And at the same time, Volcador, who who um, Ultramantis had given the eye of tear for safekeeping, he attacks Ultramantis in the Neo Solar Temple. Carpenter Ant attacks the other ants. Um, Sarah Del Rey and Daisy Hayes, who have been complaining about a lack of competition, you know, and only getting to wrestle each other and a few other girls, they come down and start attacking the Technicos. Um, that's everybody, I think, right? Yeah. The, the initial so that, seven, yeah. Yeah. And then they, they clear the ring of all the everybody, the entire group. They form this formation. Uh, our, like, Ari basically tells them it's time to unmask. Um, Volcador unmasks Tim Donst, so a, a guy who's been involved in all this from the beginning. And, you know, he's turning Rudo again. And um, Carpenter unmasks Pinky Sanchez, a guy who had had gotten like a tryout in the Neo Solar Temple earlier that year and you know, Mantis had basically told him he's too weak and like got rid of him. So this was like his own little revenge basically, um on the Neo Solar Temple and Chikara. And yeah, and that's the initial seven. So you know, the Dom's part of it is why Carpenter Ant knew the inverted Chikara special because Quackenbush had taught him that move as payment. As as payment for for infiltrating the the rudos and and later as we learned there was no counter to the mm-hmm. special like fire and uh, i forget who i think it's green ant to ask quackenbush in a backstage segment like well what's the counter and quackenbush like it's like oh, there is none it's very dramatic yeah but but yeah so that's just such a great angle and it's like just uh, the best one of the best reveals of all time as far as the bdk reveal the the eighth member would join on the on the season premiere was lindsay dorado um, who we really haven't talked about yet, but he is an yeah. interesting person throughout Chikara history for, yeah, but, for for good and for bad. But like he, the, the, he was the only technical the crowd like rejected. Yeah, I was at the King of Trios that like the big rejection happened where there was a there was a stable that was formed called The Future Is Now with Lindsay Dorado, who from the beginning was was basically given like the the supernova rookie push from the start, and but the crowd hated him. Like he was not at that time. He was not very. He, he was good, but he was not to that level. And then they're like, "Oh, let's add Helios with it." So Ricochet under the mask. And at the same time, uh, 
I forget, Jimmy Olsen, who was originally tag-teamed with Colin Delaney, decided, because he was so mad about Colin Delaney lying to him about the ECW stuff, decided to get back at the Unstable by becoming Equinox 2. And they were supposed to be this big, big, big babyface stable, but the crowd hated them to the extent that in the 2009, uh, uh, the 2009 King of Trios, in a match where uh, where the future is now, uh, 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 Lince Dorada goes diving into the crowd with a dive. He completely misses it. He was like two seats away from me. Like he was like take took out people. They went against Fist and they got beat, and the crowd was cheering against. Was cheering for Fist, saying, Shannon, thank you, Fist. And Fist has never been faces. And finally, like a couple, the next year, or the two years from then, they finally turned Lince Dorado heel, which was a huge thing because he never was like, had any inclination of being a heel. So, but yeah, BDK was amazing. Yeah, BDK it had a great reveal. And then the entire year of 2010, you know, they kind of ran wild. And I, I do remember at the time now, this is where it would have been good to have Chikara Fan Dan on for a perspective on this. I love the BDK angle, but I feel like a lot of the Chikara, a lot of the longtime Chikara fans didn't really care for it. Um, there was yeah. a lot of negative, there was a lot of negativity towards, from some of them towards, uh, towards the BDK. I mean, to, to me, when, when I got into it, like this is what really got me, what made me go from like a very casual Chikara observer slash fan to going to every show. Like when I first got into wrestling, like really got into it was the NWO. So I was super into that kind of like, you know, heel stable comes and takes over and has their own logo and has their own locker room and has their own merch table. I really liked it, but a lot of people really, really hated it. So I should be fair and mention that a lot of a lot of the longtime Chikara fans um, really seem to hate it. Well, like the bigger deal was, and I, I'm I'm kind of the mid boat. Like there was things about BDK I loved, there are things I hated. The big thing was that Kings of Wrestling, which was the big super heel unit beforehand, they still had people who would pick up losses. Larry Sweeney would always drop a fall. Fist before Fist became tag team champions were ones that would take falls on it. But BDK basically for about a year did not take a single fall. Like, yeah. and, like to the extent that uh, Ares, Casanoli, and Tursas completely murdered people in the next year's King of Trios when they won it. Like they just well, they, did, they did. They did have a help from a from a uh, a, a biased official and yeah. The, Man event, which is, again is another thing I saw a lot of people complain about, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I always liked the heel referee gimmick more than most people. I really liked it in Dragon Gate, and I liked it, you know, I liked it here too. But a lot of people hate it, so I get it. But yeah, we, people really hate the Derek Sabato thing. So yeah, the, and that was an, and also it kind of plays into a bit of the overall kind of Chakara design. Like for the longest time, the joking. Commissioner of Chikara was Bob Saget. Yeah. Like, like to the extent that it got Bob Saget to once like record a video for them saying so. But they deposed Bob Saget, they deposed his replacement, uh, Dave Coulier, and put one of their own as in charge. So it looked like that BDK was just getting favoritism as well. So it wasn't just like an invading army. It was Was like, that guy was that guy was that guy Hydra or Green Man? Hydra. That was Hydra? 
Yep. Okay. Oh, we're gonna get people mad at. I was <laughs> <laughs> just wondering. Yeah. No. No. It was. Hydra. I've heard. I've heard both over the years. That's why I was wondering. It was Hydra, or also better known as Leslie Butterscotch. Oh. So, but yeah, but it became such like a thing that like for up until uh, up until the uh, the 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 twelve large summit, the whole entire story was no one could defeat them. Uh, Ares and Castagnoli quickly. Well, the, the, the first loss for the for the stable was at King of Trios night two. Mm-hmm. It was uh, when Fire Ant, Green Ant, and Silver Ant beat uh, Lindsay Dorado, Pinky, and Dim Donst. Mm-hmm. But um, you know that was a big moment. I was there for that, so it was pretty cool. That was like a big moment, but it was treated like okay, you beat the B team. Well, no, I know. Yeah, and and they would lose to the, the A team in the finals that tournament. With with a lot of help from Lins- from uh for Derek from Derek Sabato, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, no, like this was also during this time period. Like I'm looking right now at the 2010 uh, tag or uh, King of Trios tournament. They like what like going back and like one of the really great things about what they would do. Like they brought in Big Japan. They brought in Daisuke, Daisuke Sakamoto and Yuji Okabayashi for this tournament. Like, yeah, I mean that was a, a crazy. Like they would always bring it over these guys, and they had uh, Hoshino was on that team too. Mm-hmm. Like this, you know, a deathmatch dude on that team. He was like that whole team was awesome, and you know, I wasn't watching Big Japan in 2010, so that was really my first exposure to any of them. But they were they were fucking amazing, and that that was kind of the beginning of me following Sakimoto and Okabayashi for sure. But yeah, I mean, Yuji Okabayashi at that point was still. If you listen to the content, it's like, oh, this is this young guy mm-hmm. that Sakimoto is bringing in. And so yeah, it was it was awesome. But they also had like Osaka Pro there. Yeah, they had like, uh, Blood and Guts there. Yeah, Blood and Guts, which were um, you know Daisuke Harada, you know Katoge, and the other fucker um, Tatsuke. Tatsuke, yeah, and who are all in Noah now. Mm-hmm. So even Tatsuke now is in Noah. But um, but yeah, they were awesome too. Like basically. They would bring over all these dudes, and you know, just continue all the way through the end of me watching. Mm-hmm. And all these these random Japanese indie guys, you know, I mean, a previous one had like a K Dojo team with like, um, God, who the fuck was it? Like that that I could picture him in my head. Uh, I can't be a walking and yoga, and he, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, which was insane because, yeah. like that, like that was the thing I, I taught when we were talking about like how Dragon Gate. Not Dragon Gate. I'm so used to doing it up in the voice gate. <laughs> how how much uh, Chikara would do like different kinds of matches. Like Yoshiaki Yagi was like seen as the baddest motherfucker on the planet during this time period. Yeah, like he would just like show up and like he had like this crazy match with with a uh, Necro Butcher. Like when because one of the cool things about it was they would bring over these 16 teams or 32 teams if it when we're talk about like the Tag World Grand Prix, but and they would lose like on the first night on the second night and that would open people up to just do crazy matches on yeah. the, the third night that like things you never expected you'd want to watch and you're just like oh yeah no I totally want to see Akira Tozawa versus uh, uh, Eddie Kingston like of course yeah. I would why wouldn't I I didn't and, you, and that match just comes out of nowhere and it's incredible like that was like during this time period they would do so many great like teams like this uh I'm looking up some of the old teams they would use to bring. Uh, they brought over Kudo and Mikami from D- DDT. For, yeah, I remember that. Uh, That's for a Tag World Grand Prix, right? Yeah, that was 2006 Tag World Grand Prix. They brought over Osamu Nishimura, which still is to me is like the most bizarre person <laughs> from them ever to. Uh, yeah. 
Amigo Suzuki, uh, Shinjitsu Nohashi came over. Like they, they they always would bring over Dragon System guys because of didn't Sada. they bring over did, did they bring over Ebisan at some point? Ebisan and Billy Ken Kid. Yeah. Yes. So like, so. it was always great when they would do just like bring these like random teams over. And which which I feel like we're missing that. Like we don't have any promotion now that just brings over random Japanese indie guys. Like what? I really wish, like I really wish Evolve would do that. Like all there's all these fucking Japanese indie guys out there. I'm sure some of them would love a flight to America. Like why can't you? Really, no one can afford. Fucking Chikara could afford to do this, and when they were like wrestling in people's basements in front of a hundred people, but no one can afford to do it now. Yeah, like it's really it's really bizarre to me. I, I think Erie is the only guy who does it. Yeah, he, he comes over and wrestles in the Midwest, and that's it. So it's like, can we just get some more of these Japanese indie guys over here, please? Like, I can tell you firsthand from going to see all these Japanese indie promotions, it, they, these guys are all fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. It's like, bring them over. It, if any, if any promoters listen to this, book some Japanese indie guys. It adds so much to the to just the feeling of like, you know, getting to see something special. Like that was one of my favorite things about Jakar back mm-hmm. in the day. Like. Like, there's, like, so many guys that you had never heard of. And it's like, oh, we're bringing over this team from Japan. And back when Chikara used to do things on their old website where they, like, would release, like, one image a day. And then out of nowhere, you would see Kudo Mikami. And at least at that time, I had no idea who those good dudes were. <laughs> and then, you like, you'd, you'd see them in the match. And it would be awesome. Like, they, they would do that. And they would enter the crazy tag, tag gauntlet match that always went over an hour long each year. At the yeah. end, of, at the end of the ta- at the end of King of Traders of this, and no one does that anymore. And that was especially in that time period, because even like I'm looking at current Chikara tournaments, like they had King of Trios that ended yesterday. We were recording on Labor Day, actually. So, but uh, I'm like looking at who they who they br- brought over this year for like for King of Trios, and it's a lot of European guys. And, well, because they're in, they're in Europe. Yeah, they're That's in Europe. They were in Europe, but like they also at the same time, like they bring over like all these European guys. But I think House Whitewolf's based out of Madrid. I didn't know Spain had a wrestling scene. Yeah. So like there still are they, they still do like these little things, but it's not to the extent of what they used to do. Well, a better thing to look at would have been like, did they bring any Japanese people over last year for King of Trios? Yeah, they brought over uh, Sendai girls because they won. Oh yeah. Okay. And they, did, they did bring over some Joshi. They brought over Sendai Girls JWP. And, and JWP. Yeah, so, that, so that's good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something. So, I mean, one of the ones I went to had, like, I think the last one I went to was 2012, which is the year that the Ring of Honor people won it. Or the Ring of Honor people went to the final and lost to, and lost to uh, Spectral Envoy. Yeah. So they did have a, they had a ton of Japanese Joshi wrestlers on that, mm-hmm. but they also had some they also had some male ones too because I remember uh, Tadasuke challenged Eddie Kingston for the Chikara Grand Title that weekend, which was a crazy match. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, so let's but back to what we were talking about um, the BDK year. You know, it it worked because it worked to a degree to, to people who liked it because you you built up this unit, you made you made it made them wait all year long basically for them to finally get their comeuppance. But just there were some fans that weren't interested in, in waiting through all that apparently. But you know, what are you gonna do? Um, one of the simpler things Jakari always did really well. I, I meant to bring this up right at the start and totally forgot about it. Like one of the things that always. Uh, uh, made me a fan early, very early on of them was how many like eight, six and eight and 10 man tags they would do because that's always been my favorite 
type of wrestling match, basically these big multi-man tags. So even beyond King of Trios, they would they would main event with these like eight-man tags, and they were always really good. Like, have you ever seen a really bad Chikara eight-man tag, Mike? I will say that I've not seen a total bad Chikara eight-man tag. There might be someone hit in it that botches something really bad. Yeah, but, but like, but for the most part, when you have like. When you have one guy maybe who isn't up to snuff or has a bad night, like the rest of them can cover for him. Oh, absolutely. And that's why that format's so good for for promotion like Chikara especially. Well, and also Chikara did annually does what I think is my favorite match outside of the Dead or Alive cage match each year. Oh, uh, Cybernetica. Yeah, Chikara has always made like their big single match of the year is the Torneo Cybernetico. And for people who don't know what it is, and since VOW doesn't do a whole lot of lucha, you might not. A Cybernetico match is a teamed match that you have a set tag order. So you always are tagging in the same person each time, but it's an elimination match. But the rule is someone has to win this match. So let's say if the Kings of Wrestling got down like eliminated the last person on Quack and Bush's technical technical team, which is what happened. Which is what happened. <laughs> but you still have two or three more people left. They have on to wrestle team. each other. They have to wrestle each other, and that's how Claudio won his freedom. Was that he immediately knew the kind of match was. Everyone else was like, "Oh yeah, we won, we won," and but Claudio was like, "Nope," and immediately gave a whole bunch of European uppercuts and won the match. But that match type is always so much fun, and they've always managed to play that into storyline so well. And especially like the BDK one. The the one in twenty eleven where it was the Gen was one. 20, oh not the twenty ten one? No, it would have Oh yeah yeah, it was twenty ten year right. No, I was thinking about a different one. The twenty ten one, which is the one that was the generation one Chakara students all came back, put everything aside to go against the BDK. Larry Sweeney showed up out of nowhere. Yeah, Larry Sweeney, who this was when Larry was not doing so well, to, to, and he came out out of nowhere. And his big rival was always Eddie Kingston, and it saw them like back to back in the ring, like slugging out and taking out everyone in the BDK. And it just was always so great how they would do these tournaments. Yeah, and they always would weave it into the storyline going on really well too, like. Yeah, like the BDK one, they naturally did a Chikara class one. They had one earlier, which was the King of Wrestling one versus a, a big Lucha Libre team with a b- whole bunch of random uh, of random luchadors that Quack and Bush knew of, including um, I forget if that's the one that Rambly. Ha- oh yeah, had the guy who became Hunico was in that just out of nowhere. Yeah. So or Sankara. So it was always great. I always really loved those matches how they do this but and, and that kind of was shown as like the big the big first scalp taken in the BDK storyline was that Eddie Kingston won the Torneo Cybernetico yep so. and then they would and then like the following month at December in the season finale which I was I lied that was the other time I went to Hello Town mm-hmm. which was that season finale uh, Jigsaw and Quackabush def- finally defeated Claudio and Ares for the Capiotes de Parejas so um, that was a good way to end the season, and then the BDK they almost kind of went too long with them because after that they they probably should have just been vanquished, but they they were still around in 2011, and they would honestly they they kind of disbanded in 2012, but then they came right back when Chikara came back from uh you know from their from their hiatus, but 
I don't know. The 2011 and 2012, I always felt like were more lacking in focus compared to 2010. And this is also the first time where I feel like they they kind of failed at doing the big, the big heel army slash invasion angle. Mm-hmm. Like get, like what the fuck was that Gekido shit? Like I never enjoyed that at all, and it never clicked yeah. with me. And, and really, this was the start of when when I started peer, peter out. Jakaro was Gekido. So yeah, it was pretty bad. Yes, I mean the the idea I guess was supposed to be that they were like failed students getting revenge or something, and they were taking on gimmicks of, you know, like copycat takeoffs, gimmicks. copycat gimmicks. You had like the 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 fake colony, or, like a salient and deviant and mm-hmm. a bat ant, and then you had like shard instead of jigsaw and um, God, who what else? There was seventeen, I think, which was supposed to be like Quackenbush or something. Yeah, because it, worth- it was. Because what? Because he always wore like the, the Quackenbush bodysuit, and he always like tried to break people's fingers. Like that was his thing. Like he was breaking bones. But yeah, it fucking sucked. Like let's be real. Yeah, it was pretty terrible. It was really terrible, and the crowd was never entered at all, and it just it, it was no good. It, so that that was the first example to me of them completely failing mm-hmm. at doing the heel, the invading heel army, and it would lead into you know they they kind of got away from it for a little while after that. They had. You know, 2012, like the one of the big story, like some of the big storylines are like you know, Ring of Honor being around, which is kind of kind of neat, where you had the Young Bucks being like these ROH heels basically. Yeah. Um, and and you know that was the year where Mike Bennett and the Young Bucks went to the finals, a King of Trios. It was a really fun King of Trios. I think, like my last real great Chikara memory is going to, those the, those three nights, of King, all three nights of King of Trios in Easton. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, having a great time, but but like that was like also like the great example of who they would use to book for these tournaments too, because yeah. it wasn't just like Ring of Honor versus Spectral Envoy there. Like, yeah. they, like they brought in the Faces of Pain, they brought yeah. in Barbarian Ming and the Warlord, they brought in Jerry Lynn, Tommy Dreamer, and Two Cold Scorpio. They had. Manami Toyota, who was already kind of aligned with Quackenbush at that time, but like they would, they brought her in. They brought in a JWP team, a Saka Pro team, and a Sendai Girls team, and then they had a throwback WWF team with with X Pac as one two three kid, Aldo Montoya, and Tatanka. They had Kazuki and Miyahara there too. Yeah, Kazuaki Miyahara. Yeah, that was interesting. On a team with Tito Santana. Yeah, but yeah, no, that probably. My last like big show probably was the finals of the twelve large summit where they finally crowned a singles champion. But like, yeah, like what ten years in the promotion? Ten years promotion, but probably for me being such a big Ultramanus fan, and when I say I'm such a big Ultramanus fan, I still have in my guest room a signed a poster of his, a mask, a bunch of T-shirts, and other than Akira Tozawa, he's my favorite wrestler of all time. But the mm. feel good moment of that was uh, Ultraman's never won anything in Chikara. Like, he was always, like, an, an evil insect, evil doer, but the thing was, he was always kind of incompetent about it. But yeah. he finally won the big one when, he, when they beat Ring of Honor, who were great heels during that tournament. Like, like it was... For how, like, they portrayed themselves, like, especially in a family-friendly context, it was really good. But that 2012 was definitely like when my attention towards Takara crested, I would say losing Claudio hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. I was when Claudio left to go to WWE and that was that losing him. I think really hurt a lot. Cause he was such a, 
big part of the promotion, a big part of BDK. And it, it just his last appearance, I guess, was losing to Sarah Del Rey. Mm-hmm. Who left, the, like, right it, after. Who left right after, yeah. And it was just it was just a lot of – those are a lot of losses to take. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we should mention, too, like, the, the delirious Eye of Tears storyline pays off in a really cool way here where, you know, Mantis – gets the IATR back from the BDK, frees Delirious, because at this point Delirious had... Basically, we, we forgot to mention that Delirious was taken from Ultramantis, right, at the start of the BDK thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ares came and, like, whispered something in his ear and made him go crazy and leave Ultramantis right in the middle of a tag title match against the Colony. And A match that they almost won. Like A match they almost won, yeah. And Delirious, you know reemerges a few months later as a BDK slave now, basically. Mm-hmm. You now he's all wrapped up in white and stuff. Mantis gets the IT back and frees Delirious. Delirious says in English, you know, I remember everything. And this ended up being a really important line because what he was trying to say there is he he blames Ultramantis, honestly, rightfully so. Yeah. For being the first one to brainwash him and taking t- basically he said, you know, you took two years of my life and now I'm gonna take two years of your life. So he's this really cool heel that had like a totally legitimate reason to be angry at Mantis and was angry at the fans for cheering for Mantis even with all the terrible things he had done all these years. So that was a really cool storyline, I think. Probably the last really cool Shikara storyline. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, and the way that they paid that off, they had a loser must leave town uh, hardcore match. Like, no, I think it was no DQ, I want to say. Yeah. And that was at the end of after Chikara come back from their hiatus, which we'll get into in a second here. Mm. They they had that was the, the season finale of um, of 2013, I guess. No, 2014. Mm-hmm. So and that was the. You know, the, the winner, basically the, the loser had to leave town. Delirious lost, but then he used the Eye of Tear on Hollow Wicked and Frightmare, which took taking away, um, you know, Mantis's only allies, the Spectral Envoy, mm-hmm. and which ended up being a big deal, too, because it turned Hollow Wicked heel and made, and Hollow Wicked has been the top heel in Shikara ever since, so. Yeah, and it just was like, a, like the one thing about Delirious is, in Shikara is he always had like a. He got what the promotion was like in character. Like his character, even though his his character's ridiculous character, his motivations always made sense. Like he was completely justified in going after Ultramanus. And then and then and in that feud, like the last match of the feud, the loser leaves town match. It was really cool because he would come out. He came out and he was like covered in black and green paint and kind of looked like a swamp creature in a way because he was like going to war. And then he hit the. uh, he hit Ultramanus with his own finishing maneuver three times, and it was just it was like it was probably like my last. This actually might have been the last Chikara show I saw. Now I'm looking. Yeah, at I because I, tomorrow tomorrow never dies. Yeah, yeah, I watched that one too, which is the, I think also the last full Chikara show I ever saw. But I wasn't really paying attention all in 2014. I just kind of downloaded that show, mm-hmm. uh, like out of uh, you know. I just I guess I just revealed I legally downloaded it, but on a whim. Uh, I did. I, I actually tried to Jakartopia this year just to see Mantis win the title because I wanted to see that, but I I let it lapse. I let it lapse after a month. So I yeah. was I haven't watched a Jakarta show since then, and so let's let's talk about yeah. Let's uh, get into this because this is actually yeah. This is a big. This is probably the last big topic we're going to cover here. But so 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 Jakarta is kind of like limping along through 2012 in 2013. Um, you know, I really wasn't that into it at this point still, but I went to my last show 
was the the sh- under the hood where Tim Dons challenged Icarus for the grand title, mm-hmm. and I was really into Tim Dons. He's like, you know, karma is a real heel gimmick. I even had that T-shirt, so I really wanted him to win that title match, and he didn't. And it was such a letdown to me because I thought he was built up really well. Yeah, and should have taken should have taken the title there with his like almost like a Fox Raven character. I thought I thought it was working really well, but they didn't agree with me apparently. But um, yeah. but not, not Icarus challenging Eddie Kingston, Eddie Kingston, mm. and the crowd at that point was already getting pretty sick of Kingston's reign, which is why they ended up tur- kind of turning on him. But but then we get to the season finale. Um, so there was a long and very convoluted storyline that, you know, I, unlike the BDK one, which I was really into and I like, I I had fun explaining. I don't really think I'm, I would have fun explaining this fucking storyline with the no private army and all that fucking horse shit. Yeah, like, like, and this gets into one of the reasons why I'm not into Chikara anymore. I mean, this storyline was just, it was the opposite of the BDK one, where the BDK one and the Ayotir and the Chikara special and all that, it was a long, long storyline, but a lot of it played out in the ring, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, and, like, a lot of it played out with people turning on each other and teaching each other counters and moves, and, yeah, you know, it, it had this mystical artifact, but we even that, we saw, we saw Mantis do that to Delirious, like, that happened on camera. This angle... Most of it was not on camera. Most of it was just blogs you had to read, you know. ARG. It was an ARG, like websites. Yeah, like you would. You had to. You you had to like listen for hints. They wouldn't even really talk about it on the shows. It was just really convoluted and bad, and like, you know, it involved that that fucking annoying Wink Fanisher character. Yeah, uh, like, did, did just I, I feel like we should explain a little bit of what what, what happened with that. Basically, when BDK got expelled, this guy who was an independent investigator, Wink Vavasor, was placed in in charge, and he was not very good at it at all. Yeah, like the whole idea was that he was very inept. But and he was um, like a trust fund kid, basically. Yeah. Um, but he did this. So he did a gimmick where he was like the inspector, and he was he would come to Jakarta shows to watch, and basically like the board of directors was pissed off about the BDK like favoring themselves and having their own referee and stuff so which was totally okay you know, at the time yeah that was that was fine that part was fine it's the part where he took over and then like you know made bad decisions on purpose and stuff that was not very fun to watch and and then you know like i said you had to read all these blogs and shit to actually get the you know i mean blogs are always a part of chikara you know because wrestlers would do these blogs and you would read them but like this went to like a, a whole different level where just you would have no idea what was going on at all unless you read any of these blogs and it just, it wasn't fun to follow. Yeah. And it was so involved time travel and involved, you know, this guy, like, um, it, it involved like a legitimate story mm-hmm. where this guy on the early internet, like posted about how he came back in time or something. And it turned that into an angle when that, that was like real or whatever. And he would, he had used it to make himself rich and, have this giant corporation. I said we weren't going to explain it. And now we're explaining it. <laughs> it fucking sucked. Okay. But it ended with the, with the shutdown Chikara. Like that was the big twist. Was Wake's that dad it, shut down Chikara. Yeah. So Chikara legitimately shut down for over a year. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the last show was, um, June the, 2nd, 2013, June 2nd, 2013. And the first show back was what? Like, uh, maybe not over a year then. Oh, it, it came out to be just about over a year because the next one was in May twenty fifth, two thousand fourteen. So it was eleven months. Eleven months. Eleven months. And at that point, we had all these wrestling is promotions and stuff. You know, wrestling is blah blah Fun. blah. Wrestling is love. Wrestling yeah. is art. 
and somehow it's spelled Chikara or something. I don't know. All the ones butt wrestling is fun. Yeah. Like spelled Chikara. Because that was the exclamation point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. It was dumb. <laughs> it, was, it was very stupid and very hard to follow and uh, just not fun, ironically, considering one of them was called Wrestling is Fun. The biggest one but, was, yeah. Yeah, Wrestling is Fun. And I, so, so the shoot reason is like that they ran out of money, right? The shoot reason has never been admitted, but the uh, commonly believed fusion belief is it was to save money, and at that time, uh, Quackenbush was looking at getting more of a permanent headquarters for Chikara. Because all this time, Chikara was... They moved the uh, wrestling school to the ECW arena. It was a part of CZW's wrestling school at one time. But eventually, and it was not immediately after they came back, but pretty soon after, they they found a new place in Philadelphia that, that they started to train people. But money is often considered the reason. There also is the thing that he made all the wrestlers sign non-disclosure agreements. And yeah. that's why he doesn't like Joe and Rich because they reported on it because it was news. But yeah, but yeah, for me, like, like when we're saying like you had to go read blogs about this, like that's one thing. Like there were like one of the things and one of the reasons why I kind of got out to Kara was the great the great thing about BDK going all the way back to Quackenbush and Hero was it, as John said, it all happened in the ring. And if it was not completely in the ring, the blogs would like flush it out a little bit, or like they would have like backstage interviews that would. Right, you wouldn't, you didn't have to follow that stuff though to know what was going on. Yeah, if you just watched the shows, you would have a pretty damn good idea of what was going on. Yeah, so this thing, like, it was an ARG because they made up all these fake websites, they made up a fake shell company, they claimed that they were going to go work Reseda. When like when like it was easily when like someone's like oh yeah I want to get tickets for Chikara in L A and they're like oh they're not booked here, so, <laughs> which is which is just kind of ridiculous and to, yeah they booked like a whole year of fake dates yeah that that got canceled when they shut down the promotion and it just yeah but none, but none of the dates were real to begin with yeah yeah so it just it, it's one of the things that and one of the things that kind of turns me off Chikara was this because. I at that time I, I was I was working and it just was like okay like all this stuff's going on and I I shouldn't have to go to a message board to have people explain to me what's going on in your promotion like and, and you had to and you really had to which was insane and at that point like Claudio went to WWE Sarah Del Rey went to WWE Brody Lee ended up going to WWE so like they lost so many of like their top line talent and all during the while they had a really lame invader angle with Ge- with the Gekido and it just it just kind of like when they shut down when they came back I watched I take it back I watched the revival at the, the uh, You Only Live Twice I watched that but by the end of it I was like you know what I'm good I'm done here and it's really sad because this is a promotion that like I followed for so long that like started that they created like this multi-unit heel unit called the Flood that had people of all the other old units, old heel units, and it was just like, okay, this actually would have been cool if we didn't have to go through all the bullshit to get to this point. Like, and it was just they they had a guy who was in the ring acting like he killed people in the ring. Like, did you ever follow that part, John? No. So. There was this guy who was like the leader of the flood, which be, which was the most recent 
huge heal unit called Ducalion, who basically did a choke breaker that he was breaking people's backs with. Oh yeah, and I thought that he was killing them. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. And it was yeah, I got, I, and it was dumb. Yeah, I was pretty stupid. Yeah, until Icarus, who finally like the Icarus face turn, which is something that we could get into before we wrap it up. Like Icarus was a heel pretty much nonstop after he lost his mask, and he was seen as like the uh, like the Hara Chakara who like brought everyone back together, and he became like. They took a guy who primarily was a tag guy. He wasn't Icarus isn't bad, but he just isn't a number one. If to, to put it in Dragon Gate terms, he's not a leader. And they made him as the guy who vanquished Ducalion. And then another character had a fake hammer that he killed him with. So it was just it got ridiculous and too comic booky for a comic book promotion. And I feel like that says something. Yeah, indeed. But but yeah, no Chakara is. Like, that time period, and I don't know how much Chakartopia is a month, but it, it's one of the things that, especially the, the time period, like, the of 09 to the end of BDK, there was so much good stuff that came out there. And a lot of the Chakara students, that even the ones that stuck around Chakara, are, are incredibly talented. Like, Hallowicked is a guy who, he's, he's made appearances in other promotions, but he's pretty much just a... Chakara regular, like that's all he does. He might be like one of the most underrated people in wrestling, just because people don't see him. But he's incredible. Like, yeah, Ultramanus like was a perfectly good wrestler that had an incredible presence and character that you don't see very often. And it now in 2017 of Chakara, it's just I I had to look this up before we started recording. John, uh, do you know who the uh, who are the current tag uh, tag champions are in Chakara? I have no idea. Low size cramps. Oh wow, that's awesome! <laughs> like the, the, they are this. Their current grand champion is Juan Francisco de Coronado, who I like. Who that I, I that I did know. That I did know. Who when I've yeah. seen him, well, who I've seen him, he's good. You know, he's not bad. And did Ultra make his retire again? Yeah, he retired after he lost the belt in Orlando at the uh, Orlando WrestleMania shows. Yeah. But yeah, no. Which is another reason for me, frankly, is I was an Ultramanist guy. I still think he ma- he he makes some of the best wrestling T-shirts out of anyone. Yeah, because he always picks like really cool like album covers he takes off of, and always has a little bit of a socialist bent to it, and it's always really interesting. So, but um, yeah, Takara is for like that time period, and for what they produce, and who all started it in Takara. I feel like is a promotion that doesn't necessarily get the respect it deserves considering like it's like you talk to someone about Chakar and they think it's like the goofy Lucha Libre promotion that did a long year line year long angle to shut down promotion only bring it back but like you have like you have pretty much have had who's who's of wrestling come through there including Kazuchika Okada which is insane to me it is insane that Okada wrestled there oh yeah like it, I know, like, every few months it becomes a meme of him, like, g- going into, I think it was Barnesville? Like, it was, like, this random, like, rec center that, like, 18-year-old Chikara, or not 18-year-old Chikara, 18-year-old Okada shows up. And it's just insane. It's like, oh, there's Okada, and he's in a match with a guy who's not very good, and it's not very great. Can, can we break in so, so I can bury WWE for a second? Oh. So today, we're recording this on Labor Day, Okay. The day when you're supposed to celebrate the contribution of the workers. 
Do you know how WWE decided to celebrate Labor Day? They sent out a tweet seven minutes ago as I'm as we're recording this. Breaking for the first time ever, hashtag Raw will broadcast live on Christmas night, December twenty fifth, and New Year's Day, January first. They decided to celebrate Labor Day by announcing they are not giving their wrestlers off on two of the biggest holidays of the year. Fuck the WWE. Fuck these Nazi pieces of shit. Fuck all the people replying to this with, hell yeah, oh, this is great. Oh, da, 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 da. And there's a bunch of people replying also with, uh, with fuck, like, this fucking sucks, basically, and give mm. your workers time off. But like, the guy who's like, hell yeah, uh, it's good to have my face. We're going to spend time with their families. It's like, okay. These it's... people fucking suck. This promotion fucking sucks. They fucking suck in every way possible, and I fucking hate them. It would be like one thing if this was back in the territory days where they would do shows on like on like Thanksgiving and on Christmas, but they were just doing it in the loop so they can drive home to their family. But the fact that who I, I have no idea where they're going to be for that, so like they're not even getting the chance to go home after the show or before the show is insane. And on Labor Day, yeah. On Labor Day, which I don't think, which one of the things I was following today was people f- who did not realize what Labor Day was for, or in, or in, or what it memorializes, and it's like, oh, you you guys don't realize it's about the Pullman strike, do y'all? No, no. Okay, guys, keep on tweeting. Hi, Vey. Yeah, it's very, uh, very bad. It's very bad. I really fucking hate them. Jeez. Uh, but I just wanted to, I don't, I mean, obviously that, that's a little, it's a little late by the time people hear this, it's, it's already, it'll already be like two days later, but, um, that's pretty terrible and I really fucking hate them. And I felt like I had to say something because I really fucking hate that company in every single way. And it's just yet another way that they're being complete pieces of shit. So to their own, to their own wrestlers. You know they already don't get really don't get any extended time off at all. Yeah, this was that that holiday break really where they would show like a fucking tape show was like the only extended break they get all year long, and you just took that away from them too. Like what the fuck is wrong with this company? Anyway, um, just brain dead. <laughs> just. Yeah, it's just I don't even think it's brain dead. It's malice. Yeah, no, no, malice. you're right. It, it's intentional malice because you can't. Yeah, it can't be brain dead if it's intentional. Yeah, but uh, so something I wanted like before we end this for people who are interested in Chikara, what matches would you recommend someone to watch? Mm. You go first because I want to think of mine. So I have uh, three matches that I kind of when I was doing research preparing myself from like when it, like my peak era of Chikara, and one of them is the BDK versus Generation One Cybernetico. Because mm, it's a good one. Because one, like we, I think we, we've pretty much spent the last hour and a half lionizing this one angle that was one of the best things they did. But like, it shows you like almost all of like the prime Chikara talent, like the guys who came from the first class. You get uh, how great Sarah Del Rey was, and you get like the emotional thing of oh, here comes um, Larry Sweeney in his last Chikara appearance before he passed away. Uh, the other one is uh, Ven Gerard versus Fire Ant. Have you ever seen that one? Um, 
Yes. Avenger versus Fire. I, I, yeah, Avenger. The one where he hits him with the he hits him with the the cop and wins. No, the, this is the one that. Oh, the, okay. The Young Lions Cup final. Oh, the actual final. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember, but I remember I, the, the one that really sticks out to me is where Vin Gerard, I guess, a rematch mm-hmm. where he hits him with the, he hits him with the actual physical cop and wins. Yeah, and it led to the fact that it was the first ever like title rematch that happened when Vin Gerard did that. But both of those are actually really good. Now I'm thinking about yeah. it. And then the last one, just because it was such a crazy match, was uh, it was uh, Necro Butcher versus Yoshiaki Yago. Yeah, I remember that one too. That one sticks out. Yeah. Um, what are some of my favorite matches? I mean, for the as far as ones I saw live, um, high on my list would be the the King of Trios. That that well, my, my probably my favorite live show ever was that King of Trios 2010, um, the final night. Because mm-hmm. that, show, that show has... Uh, that, that's a, that entire King of Trios is worth checking out. But you have, you know, the... I think it was the Big Japan team against uh, the against BDK, right? That yeah. sounds right. And the Osaka Pro team against uh, the Colony in the two semifinals. You have Jigsaw and Quackenbush against the Young Bucks in a really awesome non-tournament match. And then the tournament finals, which are awesome. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend that show. Um, oh, God, let me think of other matches. Oh, I completely... that, that Claudio, the Claudio Eddie Kingston match on the, the 2009 season finale. Mm-hmm. I talked about that's probably my favorite Chikara match of all time. I wasn't even there for that one, but that was just amazing. Um, hmm, trying to think. And I totally forgot. I would The uh, four-way Ray de Voldores match between Jigsaw... Uh, Jigsaw, El Generico, Kota Ibushi, and uh, Nick Jackson from 2009 King of Trios. That's that's from the that's one of the shows I saw live. You actually can see me in the upper left hand corner freak out all during uh, that's it. But that, that's match, awesome. that match was incredible. It's still one of my favorite top live matches I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think of some more. I feel like there's someone for oh the um the tag match with Manami Toyota, uh, Quackenbush and Manami Toyota against. Uh, Claudio and Sarah Del Rey. That was awesome. Yeah, well, what that show was, was that from? That was the it was the New York show in 2010. I mean, they they debut at that awesome New York venue. Uh, I can get you a show name if you give me two. I think it's like through Savage Progress cuts the j- Jungle Line. Yeah, yeah, that was it. it yeah, was that, that place in Brooklyn they only ran that like two times. Yeah, it was a cool venue. Um, Oh, that I'm looking at the show like up and down from this one we're talk that you're talking about. It also has a Arias versus Eddie Kingston, which I remember being short but a lot of fun. Yeah. Frightmare versus Pinky Sanchez. Frightmare is another Chikara dude that doesn't work anywhere else, but is really good. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking through the some of the cards during this period. Uh, there are some crappy ones, but there are also some really good ones. But, did you um, did you end up going to the Joshi Mania shows? I didn't actually. That was I I, I just I was like incredibly broke, and those tickets were like super expensive. Yeah. I guess because all the girls they're bringing over. But yeah, I didn't go to any of those sadly. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Chikara, you know, they, they, it's a lot of good stuff. I would say just pretty much anything pre twenty thirteen. You know, there's a lot of good stuff uh, if you if you search through it. Um, you just, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of nothing too, but right. I'm sure that goes for every promotion though. So, 
Um, as far as current Chikara, you know, I, 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 the, the thing with current Chikara is they're, they're talking about this on the Voice Wrestling flagship a, a couple weeks ago. Like, current Chikara gets no buzz. Like, I never see anyone on my timeline talking about it. Even pe- even other people who I know also watched Chikara in the past. It's just, for whatever reason, they just nobody watches it anymore from, from what I can tell. I saw so. a lot of... The I saw a lot of people tweet about King of Trios who are at King of Trios. Well, yeah, but that's like the the usual European fans. Yeah, and I think part of that because I've been thinking about that too. From when Joan Rich talk about it, is that when they moved to their place, the the new Wrestle Factory in Pennsylvania, like now that's where they run most of their shows, and yeah. it's from what I've seen, it's like a it's a much smaller venue. Like they they weren't selling out the ECW arena, but they were putting in. 700 to 800 people each time like like they were doing really well with that but i think i'm trying to see if i can find an attendance for a uh, for the shikarasaurus rex show that happened oh it's not even listing an apparent an attendance so but it's not a very big venue so like very people very few people actually go to these shows now and i think that's what yeah. it so you know they're they're still trucking but yeah obviously not to anywhere near the, even the, the level they were at even like you know, pre-shutdown. That shutdown, I think, really killed them. Yeah. And then, and then, post twenty fourteen, even it seems like they went in a in a much more conservative direction. They bring over less people, and you know, it's just not it's just not as interesting anymore. I don't know what else to say about it. Like, you know, it, it is what it is, but it's just not. There's nothing there that I like. If you're listening to this and you and you want me to recommend you to follow Ch- current Chikara. Like I can't really do that because I I don't follow current Chikara. Neither do but, I. But I think I like I said earlier though I think it had an important moment in in pro wrestling. I think it was an important promotion from like 2005 through like 2012 or something. Mm-hmm. And you know I really enjoyed my few years of really closely following it. But um, I can't recommend current Chikara when there's so much great wrestling out there that you could be watching instead. Yeah, and I made a tweet about this before we were like last week when you announced this. Uh, Chikara was my big wrestling love in a time period where there wasn't a lot of wrestling I liked. Like, I grew up in Dallas Fort Worth, Texas, where there was no indie scene. Like, there was just nothing. Like, I, I found out a couple weeks ago that apparently Keith Lee started wrestling in Dallas Fort Worth when I was in high school. Didn't know. You know, like, but I went to college and I made a quick friend of someone who actually was more so into hardcore deathmatch wrestling. But he was like, "Hey, the, the, we would always watch tournaments together because we because we would watch like the TPI and, and like Ring of Honor tournaments." And but we like, "Hey, there's a there's a 32 team tag team tournament." And ever since like that one tournament, like Jakara became my big wrestling love for a good six seven years. Like I would start picking up stuff like like Dragon Gate and I would follow Ring of Honor and I'd go to see other shows but Chikara was always incredible and like you said it had this like there was it had its moment it was a promotion that very much had its moment in a lot of ways that when you were talking to JR that Ring of Honor kind of did and it and I even say their moment was even shorter like basically 2009-2012 but like yeah. during, during that time period you would not see the the collection of talent you see at Chikara shows. You would n- not see anywhere else. And there's yeah. and there's no promotion that does that anymore. And I kind of miss having a promotion that will randomly bring in like a deathmatch worker to go up against a Japanese indie guy 
that I've never heard of. And I just like sit back. I was like, holy crap, that's a four star match I just watched that I, <laughs> that I wouldn't have. I would not have booked if I was on every drug in the world or or drunk. But but Mike Quackenbush did that, and that was incredible. And yeah, I can recommend current Chikara if you're someone who's like who wants to see like the formation of like Claudio Casanoli. If you want to see early Chris Hero, if you want to see Brody Lee like become Brody Lee, Chikara is a good place. And get yourself a month of Chikara Topia. Dig in the stuff from like. 2006 through 2012 and it's it's fun stuff like there is a lot of nothing there but each show will have something interesting and yeah yeah so you know definitely check out the archive mm-hmm. that's basically what i would say don't don't worry about current chikara but definitely like if you're looking for older stuff to watch there's a lot of good old stuff yeah just like oh now i'm thinking about like larry sweeney like deciding to hit eddie kingston with his car just out of nowhere like Larry Sweeney was just like like that's another thing about Chikara that I miss there's no like completely like outlandish characters like Larry Sweeney like how Ultramanus was you know Shane Storm like I miss that kind of stuff in Chikara and that's one of the reasons why I don't watch it yeah so um that's basically I feel like that we they basically covered everything Mm -hmm. but um or not well, not everything, but we covered a lot of stuff. So I guess we can wrap it up here. Um, Michael, thank you for coming on. Thank you for helping run through this very unique promotion and this very unique period with me. Had a lot of fun. Oh yeah, John, it was and... a total blast. Great way to spend my Labor Day, actually. <laughs> reminiscing about what was my big wrestling love. I had a blast. And later this week, you and I will be back, and I think, and we'll be doing Open the Voice Gate. So that'll be fun. Um, well, stay tuned for that, I guess. Next week, I can announce next week's guest now. I don't, I don't know the exact topic yet. I, I need to talk to him about that. But I can tell you the guest. It's going to be Rich Krejci, everybody. So we're going to have one half of the Voice of Wrestling flagship. We're going to get Rich away from Joe and let Rich give – the rich crate story <laughs> basically <laughs> so that'll be fun i've never done a podcast r- r- with rich before we did one with joe mm-hmm. um joe lanza was on open the voice gate but i've never done one with rich so i'm excited for that so look out for that next week me and rich crate i don't know the exact topic yet we he made a suggestion and i agreed to it but now i'm starting to think it might not actually be a great idea for next week just because what we've done these two weeks so i'll talk to him but you'll I'll announce something on the on the wrestle the at wrestle omakaze uh, o m a k a s e the our Twitter handle I'll announce it on there so definitely look out for that on wrestle omakaze in the meantime Mr Spears it's been great being on here with you and yeah had a great for time it was a total blast and thank you for having me thank you uh, thank you also for listening especially if you listen to all 10 of our first of our episodes so far um i've been really ex- happy with the way the omakaze concept has turned out so far we've covered so much stuff including stuff i never thought we would really cover so i mean it's been a lot of fun and i hope we get to keep it going here in the future so with all that said thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next time here it comes again lunch Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? 
Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.